Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. It's The Mill with Anthony Weiner on WABC. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. It's The Mill with Anthony Weiner. Good afternoon, I'm Anthony Weiner, and thank you for meeting me in the middle an hour every Saturday at 2 when we take some steps away from the hot takes of the far left and the far right and try to bring some context to the news of the week, or maybe we talk about a subject that hasn't found its way into the middle of the conversation enough. I am going to not comment on what a beautiful day it is because I got a, 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 a slightly snarky piece of mail this week that says when I, I say that it's when it's raining, it's perfect radio weather, and then when I say it's sunny, it's perfect radio weather. But it's a uh, beautiful day out there. It is um, a day where we commemorate the 21st anniversary of the Flight 587 crashing in the Rockaways of Dayali. We'll never forget being the congressman there and being there on the ground um, shortly after it happened. And we also continue to celebrate Veterans Day. You know, sometimes it is maddening to have a show only once a week, although we do have the uh, Middle Unplugged, which comes out every Wednesday, um, because... You know, there's all these things that come up during the week, and you want to comment on it. You want to hear what listeners are saying. You want to get into the mix. But then there are some times like this week where it just works out perfectly, where there's no real need for the hot takes anymore. We can just wait and see because on Election Day we see what Americans have said, and then it takes a little while to sort it out. And the big picture is Americans are smart. You know, they're, they, you know, in honor of this show, they are basically centrist people, people in both the Democratic Republican Party want the country kind of on a middle keel, and they rebel when it gets too swingy to one side or the other. Sometimes it doesn't happen immediately, um, but it happens. And I think that happened this week in New York when many Democrats and a lot of New Yorkers in this very blue state pushed back because of the issue of crime and made their presence known, and people around the country pushed back as well against the extremes as what they saw. So... It's been a very interesting week. It's been an interesting week if you're Elon Musk. You know, this is a week where I can really do a lot of I told you so's, but if you go back and listen to my episode on um, on Twitter, this is when Elon Musk was first talking about taking over Twitter. And I said if he, if he does what he says he's going to do, no one's going to want to be there. Like it, there's a reason why you need content moderation. You need someone on there saying stuff is not true or stuff is nasty or stuff is racist or people are impersonating or they're spam. And he's been – Firing the people that try to regulate that at Twitter, and you can say, well, I want to keep my stuff off and Hunter Biden and whatever it is, but the proof is in the pudding. It is losing millions of dollars every day, and he is struggling to keep it going. Another good reminder, you know, people who are rich doing one thing don't necessarily mean they're good at doing something else. 800-848-WABC. We're going to take a lot of calls today. 800-848-9222. You can always tweet at Rep, if, if Elon Musk lets me, tweet it at Rep Wiener, R-E-P-W-E-I-N-E-R. And WienerWABC at gmail.com. At 3 o'clock, Curtis comes in. We have a lot to talk about there, too. Especially he is going to, he and I are going to talk about the odds we see of Sid Rosenberg actually pulling off an Eric Adams, Rudy Giuliani sit down. And if so, um, what that would look like. I'm, I'm interested in that. And obviously, Curtis has some takes on the election as well. So let's get right into some of the numbers of the week. Um, first, let's with 181. That's how many guys named John have been elected to the United States Senate. And John Fetterman was one of them this week. I think every Congress, every Senate, I think I've got this stat right, every Senate but one since the 1920s has at least three Johns. And um, to give you some context, 181 guys named John, 58 women total in that entire time. So only so three times as many guys named John have been elected to the Senate than women. Uh, six 
Six is the actual number of toss-up house seats that there still are. You're going to see different numbers on your TV screens depending upon what station that you watch. But some of the numbers that are out there are just out there because they got haven't got the results in. They haven't got enough information yet. But the real swing seats are going to come down. It, it, it is actually right now as we sit here, 217 to 212. 218 is what you need to get the right to choose a speaker and to take over control of the House of Representatives. It's 217 for the Republicans, 212. If you want to know, there are six seats that are outstanding, and I am now going to tell you the margins in all of those six seats as we sit here. Arizona 1, Democrat by one and a third points. Arizona 6, Republican is leading by 0.98 points. California 13, and think about the California races, they're all only about a half counted. California 13, a Republican is leading by 0.11. California 22, Republican is leading by a comfortable five points, but in that race, there's only 53% that has been counted. California 41, Republican leads by 1.2%, and in Washington 3, Democrat leads by 1.7. Now, the math is Democrats have to win every single one of those seats um, if they are going to, they've got to run the table, basically. So that's one of the numbers of the week. 862, this number many of you have memorized by now. That is how many votes Laxalt leads Catherine Cortez Mastro um, in, in, uh, in Nevada. Ballots may arrive as late as today, and then there's some signature matching that has to go on. I give Laxalt a lot of credit. He was a big election denier, but he has said himself that he thinks the window is closing for him to be able to be um, for him to be elected. And part of the reason is all of that seeding of doubt about about early voting, that for some reason used to be Republicans were the early voters. It used to get more votes than early votes than Democrats, and now it's the other way around. And just so, just so you understand why you can't do it, I heard Steve Moore saying the last thing, oh, again, every vote should be counted by midnight. This is the state law in Nevada. It says this is when votes can come in. A lot of them have to come from overseas, from military members and things like that. They can come as late as today. Uh, another number, 30. 30% vote for Lee Zeldin in New York City, according to the preliminary numbers. That is pretty remarkable. I'm going to give you some context for that. In 2018, Molinaro got 15%. In 2014, Astorino got 17%. So he got 30% in New York. And I guess let's start there with, with New York. I'm, there's a lot to cover. I want to talk about the national scene. But let me start with New York first. Um, you know, Zeldin... With an alliance, you know, not a, what did Kathy Hochul call it, a conspiracy. I mean, it was only a conspiracy that, that a bunch of different people had the same idea. But between Zeldin and the New York Post and 77 WABC, the most powerful radio station in New York, they succeeded in making this kind of a local election. And they made crime the local issue. And they did an amazing job of it. I really do. And... and And it was made even more amazing by the fact that Hochul never did a very good job of her own in defining this race. She ran something akin to a Rose Garden strategy, which is a reference to the White House when you're the incumbent president. You can just sit in the Rose Garden and let your opponent flop around because you have so many advantages. Hochul did not have those advantages. She was not well known. And as I said, said, as I chanted as I yelled, as I mantraed here on the air, on the middle. She only did one debate. So even when she had a chance to go out and do a contrast, she didn't do it. Um, And she never really gave anyone a clear reason that she was running. And especially when the national environment was so bad, that's just a very bad, it was a very bad strategy. And like, who is she? Today, I still don't know. And I've watched a billion of her TV commercials. I debated last week. I debated Andrew Giuliani on Tuesday. It was a lot of fun. I, I admire Andrew. I got a lot of grief from my liberal and progressive friends, and I admire him. I think he did a good job in the governor's race. He seems like a, a he's a smart guy. He's got his head. You know, he's he's not a you know, he's not an ideologue. I think he, he's a New York City guy. And when we were doing that debate, do you know what I I didn't take anything that Kathy Hochul was saying and used it to prepare for that debate. I mean, I when I basically you know, took a look at some things that Zeldin did miss votes and, and try to reframe the debate because she's, Hochul was not doing a great job. I, I mean, it's true that she was, she was doing the, those two issues 
choice and election denial. But even that she wasn't doing particularly well. And I'm going to say this again, and I've said it to Curtis, and Curtis is going to be on the left versus right at 3 o'clock. I've said this before. Progressives don't like crime. You know, you, you, you can't just say, oh, well, crime is like a Repub- thing only Republicans and independents care about. No, no one likes crime. And there's crime in the city. Now, it's not. It's not. I, I think bail reform is a is a straw man is a, 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 a is not a real issue. I try to explain why in past past episodes. I think that I didn't I didn't hear a great plan from Zeldin. You know, fire district attorneys is not a plan for crime. But all of that being said, I don't think she did a very good job at all. And the combination of Zeldin doing a good job and her not doing a very good job led to that number thirty percent in New York City. And then obviously he did very well on Long Island. You've heard all these numbers before. She's the first non-New York City person to be on the ballot in a while, and you think that would give her a big advantage upstate. It didn't. It didn't really. Um, and ultimately, Zeldin, uh, Zeldin did very well. But I'm going to tell you this. Um, a couple of names that have kind of escaped notice, and I hear him some, you know, he's be coming on with John Katsimatidis on his, on John's great show that comes out at five o'clock. Um, you know, Andrew Cuomo bears enormous amount of responsibility for that turn, for that day. Redistricting was a failure, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. He he was the one that was had his hand on on the driver's seat when a hand on the wheel when we passed that constitutional amendment on redistricting. He was the one who appointed the judge that wound up making the decision, striking down the Democratic maps. Um, he was the one that appointed but never promoted Hochul in any way, right? I mean, if you didn't know who Hochul was, and I didn't know who Hochul was, well, Andrew Cuomo was the one who appointed her. Um, and then there's the, the, the changes to the, to the, to the crime laws, to the bail laws. I mean, if you think that's a reason, he was the governor at the time. He's kind of running away from it now and the corruption in his administration and then the scandals. And then the infrastructure of the Democratic Party had been left to atrophy. And that's not Hochul's fault. Hochul, um, inherited that. Now, if I were Kathy Hochul, I would have completely, the first thing I did want to get in there is turn the whole place upside down. But all that being said, you know, um, so that Republican wave, it costs a few seats. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. But I will say this, and this is a, you know, I'm not doing a hot take. This is something I said two weeks ago. Zeldin underperformed in an important way. Is that because he was an absolutist on abortion and because he was an election denier, it made it too easy for many Democrats to say, I won't even consider what he says about the other stuff. And I've heard this line before. Oh, he made an ad saying he's not going to change the abortion laws. Go watch the debate he did with with Andrew Giuliani and the other Republicans. He lists six. I counted them. Six different changes he wanted to see in the state law around abortion. And when women are dealing with a constitutional right and when election denial is on the ballot, he was the he was not the right type of candidate. You needed a Pataki type, someone who's good on the environment, someone who's kind of ambivalent on choice, didn't make it a big issue. I think he was actually pro-choice. Someone that was acceptable. And then Zeldin, to make it kind of worse, he goes into that debate and is shrill and yelling and kind of been very aggressive rather than being, hey, you can, tr- you Democrats can trust me. You can take this vote. Democratic turnout was down. Republican turnout was up. He had a chance. Now, I don't know if it was ever going to get much closer than it was, but I think in a very important way, um, he under, he underperformed, not overperformed, but it is ultimately very good for the middle in New York because he showed, Zeldin and his campaign showed, that we need to move towards the middle on crime. We need to acknowledge that issue. I am on Team Adams when it comes to this. I mean, I don't like the way uh, Mayor Adams is demagoguing on bail reform, but he is not wrong to say that these are legitimate concerns, to simply say, ah, it's not that big a deal. is not the strategy here. And it is true. You can always try to talk you. Every campaign wants to talk about what they want to talk about. How many times did I hear Zeldin supporters say, well, they just want to talk about that? Yeah, that's the way it works. They want to talk about one thing. We want to talk about something else. But crime is not an imaginary thing. Now, is it, was it overplayed? Was it overhyped by the New York Post? Every day there was another story on the front page that they could have, you know, was it a decision that was made? Were there a lot of hosts here at, on 77 WABC, the most powerful radio station in the nation, you know, kind of talking about crime all day, crime, 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 crime? Yes, but still. It is good that, that Democrats, to some degree, got something of a wake-up call. And I hope Kathy Hochul, who realized that she wants to run for re-election, she's got to deal with that issue and has to deal with it 
quickly. And she also probably realizes that she has to take on her left in order to do that. So net-net, it's a good day for the middle, which we like here on the middle. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Ryan taking care of us on the other side of the glass. Kevin supervising Joe on the phones. Come back after the break, and we'll talk briefly about the national issue. And we'll also take a look at my predictions from last week. And I say that with my chest pumped out, my chin forward, because it's rare that I get to say, I told you so, when we get back. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner, 77 WABC. And welcome back to The Middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. We're going through the results from Tuesday. The House Martin is bringing us back in. We're here every Saturday from 2 to 3. You can catch us on WABCRadio.com. You can download the WABC Radio app. And you could also get all of this exciting news that you get here and on other programs, as many as well as many other podcasts at the Red Apple Podcast Network. I have a podcast that comes out every Wednesday called The Middle Unplugged. Episode 3 just came out. I did some instant react in the middle of the night. And we're going to have some more coverage. Uh, you've got to go subscribe to that separately from this. 800-848-WABC. Now let's move on a little bit to the national picture. Then we'll take some of your calls at 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Last week I made some predictions. And I can't remember what they are. Ryan, do you remember? Let's see if we, we maybe have some tape of my predictions. Let's see. I'm going to leave the House out of this. I do believe that the Republicans win the House. I think they'll probably take office January 3rd with like a plus 20. You know, and plus 20 means you can afford to lose 10 people on every vote. I think that Fetterman will win, albeit close. Emmett Oz, as of today, still is a is in the net in the net dislike category. I mean, he's underwater and likability. This has been close all the way along. I just don't believe Ohio, at the end of the day, with a Republican, a popular Republican on the ticket also, and Mike DeWine, with whom I served, um, I think that J.D. Vance wins that one in Ohio. But I do think that Mark Kelly, former astronaut Mark Kelly, will beat Blake Masters in Arizona. I think Laxalt wins that. I think Adam Laxalt is peaking at the right time. There are some questions about Cortez Mastro. That one I put in the Republican column. And in Georgia, this one may not end on election night. They have a runoff there. If you don't get 50% and there is, I think, a third-party candidate in that race, I think Raphael Warnock holds on. He's been um, he's been up by a point or two. I'm a little bit nervous about that prediction because Warnock has recently been doing what he hadn't been doing previously, which is talking about Herschel Walker's scandals. Herschel Walker's gotten better on the stuff. I still think Raphael Warnock. Uh, the surprise of the night, I think in Wisconsin, I think Mandela Barnes beats Ron Johnson. Um, and in here in New York, uh, Kathy Hochul will win 55-45 by about 10 points, which is not a big margin. And those are my predictions. That guy is smart. So those are my predictions. I did, you got to admit. Did pretty well. Did pretty well. I mean, Republicans plus 20 in the House. They're probably going to be plus four, six, something, four, five, something. That's not bad. I had Laxalt wrong, but look at the margin. I, I almost had Laxalt right. Almost had him right. And Mandela Barnes. Oh, I really wanted that one to come through because that was a real upset, especially he was trailing by about four or five points going in, and he almost pulled it out as a point or two. And Hochul, I said 55, and she got 53. That right? Anyway, so those were my predictions. I think I did pretty darn well, but it doesn't matter what I I predicted. I just like how often do I get to say I told you so when I'm wrong about so much on this show? You guys always call in and tell me that, so I figured I'd take the moment to do a victory dance. But let's go nationally and tell. Here's what I think happens. Steve Moore in the last program, I love his program. It's a great job. He said, "Like you know, does anyone have a theory about what happened?" I do, and not only do I have a theory, I've put into a pithy little package here, and I call it the five D's. 
Let's see if we can figure out what the five Ds are. First is Dobbs. The, the, the overturning of Roe v. Wade was for 27%. It was second. It was second nationwide. The economy was number one, but 27% of people in exit polls said abortion was a top concern. I mean, economy inflation was higher. But in those, for those people that, that said that, if, that, that choice was their top concern, like 75% of them voted for Democrats. And a lot of people, I think, made the calculation, you know, hey, I don't know who I blame for inflation. I don't know who I blame for the economy. I'm upset about it, but I know who's to blame for this choice issue. And also it's going to animate me to come out. A lot of young people did come out and vote. So the first D of what led to a lot of this was Dobbs. You look at a place like Pennsylvania, clearly that was a that was a bit Michigan. Michigan was literally on the ballot in Michigan, and we flipped a bunch of House seats. The, the governor won easily. Um, so D is the first Dobbs. Second D is the deniers. Look, you know what was very in vogue this year, the last couple of days? Concession speeches. People read the handwriting on the wall. Voters did not like People running for office saying that they, they, they think elections were stolen and were trying to discount their votes and trying to say that they didn't vote the way they should have. I mean, election deniers got crushed. I mean, there are a hundred of them around the country. I mean, not everyone did, but in the big Senate races, they lost in big numbers. And if you look at the people that are running to supervise elections, people like for secretary of state or governors, like where there, it really became an issue, like you had actual deniers saying that I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to certify elections in the future because I think elections were stolen. It, it was a it was people got swamped in Arizona, Georgia. The guy went a, a a primary, Michigan, Minnesota, Nevada, Pennsylvania. All these places had um, election deniers getting defeated in when they were running for jobs um, that required them to count the votes. Um, Voters seem to have a simple message. He said, you know, we can be upset about policy differences, but we won't tolerate our votes being taken away, which is really what the deniers do. The next D we've heard a lot about, and I have a little bit of a different take on this, and that's the Donald. You know, is one of the rules I have on this show is I don't like to, to say the former president's name a lot. It gets people very animated. I also think the Democrats are overly deranged about him. I think Republicans have also not made good calculations. But now, now we suddenly are seeing... You know, the New York Post has turned, and we have guests coming on here on 77 during the week saying, oh, it's Donald Trump's fault. It's Donald Trump's fault. I mean, let's remember something. He was unpopular in 2016, lost the popular vote when he won. He got swamped in 2018 in, the, in a big Republican tide that turned over the House, um, that, 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 that turned over the House and turned over Virginia and a lot of other places. In 2020, in 2020, he lost and lost the popular vote. In 2022, his chosen candidates in a bunch of battleground seats lost. Now suddenly, is everyone saying, wait a minute, uh, Donald Trump's our problem. No, you guys all made a decision. All you elected officials made a decision after decision after decision. There's nothing new here. He's been doing these same types of things. After January 6th, you all said, oh, it's Donald's fault, it's Donald's fault. So, but, but there's no doubt about it. To the extent that he gets involved in races... Republicans lose. We now have plenty of history around this, plenty of history around this. And you looked at when when the Democrats peaked in September, what was in all the headlines? Donald Trump, Mar-a-Lago, Donald Trump. And I got to tell you, if he if he announces he's running for president before the Georgia runoff, it's going to be uh, it'll it'll be 55, 45 by the time you're done with it for Warnock. So blaming Donald Trump. Now, don't blame Donald Trump. Blame yourselves, all you fellow Republicans who knew exactly what was going on for years. And by the way, there is one thing about Donald Trump I do have to say, and I don't want to get off a, a, a screed on Donald Trump. He posted 32 posts yesterday attacking other Republicans, 32 of them. You know how much he posted, how many he posted on, uh, in honor of Veterans Day? None. I mean, just if you're going to be on social media, for goodness sakes, at least every once in a while, do the right thing. All right, another D, DeSantis. Oh, man. Florida has gone from being a purple state just, I don't know, eight years ago. So now DeSantis has made it a state where it's deep, deep red, flipping seats left and right. A lot of Democratic votes went his column. There's no math that says that he didn't win just on, on Republican votes by that margin. So the other D is DeSantis. And as close as the House is, you know, you might have him to thank. And that remind, and that goes to the final D of the five D's, the doo-wop group that I'm promoting today. And that is the partisan districting that in Florida that I just mentioned allowed 
allowed them to flip four seats. And the partisan districting that was struck down in New York that led us to lose four seats. Between the two of them, it's in the range of eight to ten seats. If you look at the difference in the House, that's the whole difference. That's the whole difference. And, you know, and look, I believe ultimately, and I got in trouble for this this week, too. I got to listen, I'm on the radio. I'm going to say stuff I believe. But I think that it's probably good for America and good for New York that we have less partisan districts, that you have four or five close races every year. It's probably good for us to not have a whole delegation of just Democrats. It's probably good that we have a handful of Republicans. Probably makes us more influential. We have a, a foot in different camps, particularly in a moment like this when who knows how the House is going to wind up. But between, but the redistricting process that we all think is boring and tedious, go back to listen to my interview with John Faso, who deserves a lot of credit. He's the quiet hero of all this if you're a Republican. He's the one who led the redistricting, got the, the Democratic map knocked out, and got the new map put in. So that's the final D, the five Ds. That's what wound up happening. It comes down to, it comes down to Dobbs, deniers, the Donald, DeSantis, and districts, and there is what you have. I mean, that's what wound up happening. You had enough that was going on. Voters, I got to tell you, again, I'm a patriot. I love this country. I, I mean, I think Americans are so smart. You know, we focus on the fringes. We focus on the far left. We focus on the circus on both boats fine. But at the end of the day, Americans are smart. They saw the January 6th hearings. They saw the the the... the the deniers, they, they saw the, mach- the the craziness, and they said, you know, by the way, you want to hear some, something interesting, an interesting fact, I don't have the exact number on this. People who were somewhat dissatisfied with Biden on the, um, on the economy still voted for him. People who were somewhat dissatisfied with Obama on the economy voted against him by 40 points, against Donald Trump by 50 points. But I think that voters kind of, uh, you know, I mean, Biden gave those two speeches, you know, calling out, you know, the far right. And he was onto something. You know, we all thought that, all right, what are you doing talking about that? Tell us about how you're going to bring down the gas prices, bring down, you know, get baby formula back on the shelves. But I think Americans, the centrist Americans, the voters of, of this country said, you know what? We can figure out these, some of these issues. But if you're not even going to trust, if we can't trust you to uphold the basics of the Constitution, um, we're going to have some problems. So um, we're going to go to a break, and then when we get back, we're going to take your calls. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Thank you for joining me on the middle. 3 o'clock, Curtis Lewa comes in. We talk about local issues a little bit. We appreciate you being here, and we'll see you on the other side. to make change, reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. And welcome back to The Middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. Thank you for joining us. We're talking about the election. We're going to go to your calls, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. 3 o'clock, Curtis comes in. We talk about uh, Eric Adams, where he is in all of this. And by the way, there's one more thing. If, you'll, if you will oblige me, one more, I told you so. You know, one of the things that I think, you know, you see in, I, in my predictions, I predicted Democrats do pretty well. I predicted they'd be 51-48. I miscounted. I said 5149, but um, one of the reasons I was much more bullish on the Democratic chances than a lot of people were is because I know how to read polls. And I did an episode of The Middle Unplugged where I talked a little about this. And let me me, listen to what I said. We can soon stop pretending that, you know, we're experts on how to read polls. We seem to think that one poll is smarter than another if it says our candidate is doing better. We don't seem to understand that polls are expensive and that sometimes the entity paying for it desires a certain result. And what? I, so this is from the middle unplugged from before the election. I, and the point I was making is that 
there are two types of polls in the world. There are the institutional pollers, the, the Emersons, the Siennas, the Quinnipiacs, the, you know, these pollsters who poll for, who, who poll kind of independently. They poll for publications. And then there's a bunch of other pollsters who just do random polls because it's a way to get their name out there. And many of them are putting their finger on the scale. I will get, there's one called the Trafalgar Group that their polls were quoted here on ABC dozens of times. When you add everything up, they overestimated the Republican performance in the big Senate races by 7.5% over 13 races. 7.5%! All on the Republican side, all on one side. Now, I should point out, they're considered an A pollster because they were the only one that had Donald Trump last time. Because when you're doing, when you're constant. Anyway, the point is you can't throw all these polls in together and think, and believe them. You've got to go decide what it is you're going to look at. And so polling actually had a very good year. A very good year. When you take out the, the partisan polling, I told, I said this number a dozen times. When you asked people leading up to the polls, would you rather have Democrat or Republican? It was like Democrat or Republican by one point, half a point, and that's what it is today. There were, you know, you could have seen it if you if you squinted enough and you look past the the hoopla, you did see it. The polls, the polls did very well. All right, let's get some calls. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Eight hundred eight four eight. Nine two two two. Let's start out with George in Garden City. Go ahead, George. Hi, Anthony. I'm the court clerk that calls once in a while. But anyway, I think you may be wrong about Hochul. I don't think she's motivated to do anything about the crime right away because she's in for four years, which I feel bad about because I think the city's really having a problem. I think she's going to wait a, couple, a year or so to see if there's more to change on the city council or 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 on the uh, state assembly. I don't think she's going to do anything. And I, I don't like it, but I just don't believe she'll do anything. And number two, if you can comment real quickly, as a congressman, the fact they're only going to have three or four votes, uh, the Republicans, I think that diminishes anything they may want to do with impeachment. Also, if they can do anything, they're going to have to have a strong leader. I don't know if you can comment on what uh, I'm saying. I, George, three, George, you're exact. That's two excellent points. I think you're right. I think Hochul probably – We'll take a little bit of a back seat because, frankly, Eric Adams has to get elected before she does now. And so I think she's going to try to be supportive of him. But I, I would not be surprised if she did not take the lead. And, you know, Curtis Lewa has a theory. He's going to talk about it at 3 o'clock that, that Hochul feels beholden to the left, not to the moderates. So, like, we'll see. The second point is really the subject of maybe – I was thinking about maybe doing this as an entire episode of the Middle Unplugged, uh, the, the, the podcast – Look, the problem is if you are, let's say, pick a name. Let's, let's say Kevin McCarthy. If you're Kevin McCarthy, you're Republican, you have a uh, the speaker's gavel by a grand total of three or four votes. What happens is anytime three or four people want to want to cause you trouble, they can do it. They can stop anything. You need to have a fairly strong speaker. Um, and what is going to wind up happening is I don't think McCarthy is going to make it. There are too many wackadoo freedom caucus people you know, Democrats actually, Nancy Pelosi doesn't get the credit she deserves. She's a very, very shrewd operator. But Democrats at the end of the day, on our left flank, our more conservative members, we all kind of have a fidelity trying to get some certain basic things done. The Republicans don't have that. The Republicans have a half dozen to a dozen, maybe more than that even, members who just want to stop anything from happening, who don't like Washington, who feel contempt for government. Many of them, although fewer than there used to be, are these QAnon wackadoodles. And I think that it's going to be really hard to get anything done. I think, as a matter of fact, I, if I am Joe Biden, you know what I want? I actually probably would rather it not be Nancy, not be, it might not be her anyway, but not be the Democrats plus two or three. I'd rather see the Republicans because they're not going to be able to get anything done. They're going to look bad, and the, the, the American people are going to turn to him to be the adult in the room in 2024. That's one, one theory of it. Marty and Piscataway. Go ahead, Marty. Hey, thanks. Thank you for taking my call. I, I have to tell you, we probably don't agree very much politically, but I respect you. Thank you. I think you're funny as hell, and I'm, I'm really glad you're getting a second chance. Thank you, pal. Quickly to my point, I'm amazed that Hochul won. And simply, I just, I'm a former police officer. The amount of crime and the lack of uh, caring uh, seems to be on her part just blew me away that people would actually vote for her and she'd win. My second point is you referred to Lee Zeldin possibly you said mentioned something that he was uh, against the constitutional right. He came out of, like as against it. Uh, unless I misheard you, uh, Roe versus Wade was never a constitutional right. It's a court decision. I think a lot of people misunderstand that it never was a constitutional right. I'm, was I wrong in hearing that? 
Well, yeah. I mean, wh- who gets to decide whether something is a constitutional right? The Supreme Court does. Because it's in the Constitution. And, and no, no, it, no, it, no. It not everything. Not everything that is a constitutional right today is in the Constitution. It's, it's these are interpretations of the court. And, and 50 years ago, they interpreted a right in in the Constitution to an abortion. And now this court right. took. And then they. And then they- then they re- then they really looked at it and said it was never common practice or it wasn't a Correct. tradition. So yeah, they, they just, took it away. I but I'm saying, small- but you can have look. You're onto something, Marty. This is there's a reason why we're having this this semantic discussion because never in American history has a constitutional right been taken away. They, we only we add people's rights. We add you know in the Fourteenth Amendment we added we add rights. We add a right to vote. We add women. We add younger people. Um, and this this one was taken away, and, and Zeldin supported it. And by the way, speaking about Constitution, I appreciate the call, Marty. Call us again soon. And the other thing was he also – it's the other one also that I think was, was maybe as salient. He voted to overturn the votes of the people of the state of New York. You know, this whole idea, well, I only voted to object to some states. Well, what does that do? That throws it to the House of Representatives. It no longer becomes – if he was successful, it would have thrown out New York's votes as well. But all that being said, I'm not, I want to give him credit. He did an excellent job giving the hand. It was Hochul's job and the voters' job to point out these things. And I don't think um, that, that was particularly well done. Max, you also want to talk about Lee Zeldin. Go ahead, pal. Yes, thank you. Um, listen, if anyone wants to know about what goes on in voting, I would suggest looking at the video, watching the video, Dinesh Souza's 2,000 Mules. I think that would be. Uh, and what and what you can do, Max, is go read Philip Bump's takedown of that in the Washington Post. It is a it is a hot steaming dumpster fire of a ridiculous piece of garbage. That movie. Uh, we lost Max, so I guess I inadvertently at the last word. I didn't mean to get the last word on that. Uh, Joe in Manhattan, go ahead, Joe. Yeah, I have a question, and it's on Lee Zeldin. When he lost the election, I understood that he lost by 350,000 or 300,000 votes, and he hadn't conceded. And he said that there was 1.4 million absentee ballot votes that hadn't been counted. Were they ever counted? Well, I don't think that the – first of all, it sounded when – when he talked to Sid the other day, it sounded like he conceded. I don't know if he actually had I made – I know he did concede. Yeah. So here's what happened. That New, York State, New York State law was changed, so now they were able to process those absentee ballots um, as they were coming in. So they're all included in the, in the numbers you see in the newspaper. What aren't included are what are called affidavit ballots, which are ballots that people fill out when they come to vote – that um, are because of a problem with the machine or their name wasn't on the, the ledger. The numbers you've got now are fairly final, uh, not 100%, but fairly final right now. Um, next, let's go to Robert in Manhattan. Go ahead, Robert. Good, uh, good day, Mr. Weiner. I'll, I'll make this very quick. You remember when Charlton Heston made that famous speech to the NRA when he said, we don't trust you, Mr. Clinton, <laughs> with our guns and our daughters. Well, I'm going to say something to the Republicans and even to Curtis Sliwa, because he's a Republican. He's not a Trumper or whatever. I don't trust I'm, – I'm at that point now. I don't trust any Republican on climate change. I don't trust any Republican on fighting corporate pollution or protecting civil rights. I really don't. Now, let me get to Georgia and the makeup of the Congress. In Georgia, we have Herschel Walker, who's beating Warnock over the head, invoking the name of God, telling us that, oh, no, no exceptions whatsoever. And what do we find out? That he pressured at least two, maybe three, who knows how many. And everyone, I'm sorry, uh, Mr. Weiner, but with the, with the exception of maybe nobody, everyone on your radio station is backing him to the hilt. And you know what that proves to me? That WABC, at least the hosts, are hypocritical and duplicitous to the nth degree because they want anyone in as long as it's anti-democratic, big, big D, et cetera, et cetera. And they're going to support this guy if he gets in. Now, it's the makeup of Congress. McCarthy's going to have, what did you say, four votes? We don't know. We, we don't know. A handful tops. Yeah, well, let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. All those loony kazuni kukulamungalas, those flakes like Marjorie Taylor Greene, he's going to need her. Can you imagine? And she never repented. I'm sorry, folks. She never repented saying that the Jews caused forest fires with laser beams from space in California. And she never repented QAnon. And he's going to depend on her. And this scares the hell out of me. And you know that the first thing the Republicans are going to do is they're going to try to push through a national abortion bill. 
outlawing it with no exceptions. And you also know that they're going to go on fishing expeditions. They're going to smear. Well, well, but hold on a second. But hold on a second, Robert. There's another way to look at this, and I appreciate your 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 calling in. Another way to look at this is they're going to look at the poll, the 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 results they just got, and then look in the mirror and say, how do we calibrate here a little bit? You know, one thing you did not hear from the Republicans throughout the campaign is what they were going to do when they got in. I'm sure the American people noticed that as well. You can't just be all about fire the other guy if you don't have a really good idea for what you want to want to do yourself. I heard Newt Gingrich was on with John Katzmatidis on, on Cats at Night the other day. You know, if you remember when, when he turned over the House for the first time in like 40 years to the Republicans, he did it in this contract with America where it was, you know, wafer thin and it, it some of this was platitudes and they didn't wind up doing them, but – it gave them a scaffolding that people could visualize. Yeah, all right, that's what the Republicans want to do. Fine, I'll go for that. I think, look, the Republicans are in a bad spot here because you're right. The Marjorie Taylor Greens, Bobert, by the way, the one who was yelling at the president during the State of the Union, she's in a nip and tuck. I think she wins, but she's very close. They're now in bed with these guys. Now, a lot of the QAnon candidates lost, which is, again, the middle The middle is amazing in this country. People, Americans, are they, they get it. Um, but you're right. This Gates guy, Bobert, uh, Marjorie Taylor Dream, I just named three of the uh, three people who were just who were one fry short of a happy meal, and these guys would between the three of them could probably choose the speaker. I would not want to be a Republican in Congress right now. And by the way, McCarthy, nice guy, I know him, know him, for, you know, know him pretty well. He has no Nancy Pelosi. He doesn't have the tactical chops. He doesn't have the toughness. He doesn't have the judgment. You might not like Nancy Pelosi. She might not be your cup of tea. I have seen her up and close, up close. She that inside tactical stuff, how to get from A to B, how to round up 218 votes. She's very good at that kind of stuff. McCarthy is not. And when we get back, there's a lot of calls on the board. We're trying to do kind of a lightning round version, get as many of you in as we can. 800-848-WABC. You're listening to the middle, and I'm grateful for that. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner, 77 WABC. And welcome back to the middle. This is Anthony Weiner. We are taking some pride in the fact that here in New York, the left got. A little bit of a spanking, and nationally, the far right got a little bit of a spanking, and maybe we're all a little bit better off for it. We're going to go to the calls and um, hear what you have to say about it. Uh, first, let's go to – my vision is really going. Let's go to Jimmy on Long Island. Go ahead, Jimmy. Hey, what's going on? I'd like to ask you your opinion. Um, I think it's safe to say that almost every commercial leading up to the election mentioned abortion, women's rights. It was basically, for me, it was the Democrats – only or, or main platform. So if the Supreme Court is somewhat conservative, why did they, why were they in such a rush to give them that platform when all they had to do was wait six months to change a law that was out for 50 years? That's a good question. Because the Supreme Court doesn't listen to anybody. I mean, I agree with you. Look, what they should have done, what they should have done, what the, what the, the member, the justices, Three justices that Trump put on all said when they testified before the Senate that they thought Roe v. Wade was set a law and it shouldn't be messed with. All three of them got on the court, and the first thing they did, like a bat out of hell, is overturn this constitutional right. And what it did is usually the out party is the party that doesn't have the White House, right? So Joe Biden, the out party, would have been the Republicans gaining all this momentum because they're angry. They want to reclaim some of their authority back, some of their autonomy back. But the Supreme Court was really the in party. So all these Democratic voters got so animated. Now, here in New York, it wasn't as much what it was. You look in Pennsylvania, you look in Michigan, it was the singular issue. We had a referendum in Kansas. We had a referendum in Kentucky, conservative places. And it just showed that a lot of voters said, listen, this is not something that we wanted to have change. And so they were angry. They turned out and voted. But you're you're exactly right. I think if 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 it hadn't been if it hadn't been for that, I don't know. Well, I don't know. I mean, probably Lee Zeldin would have had problem having that record anyway, but it would have certainly been very different. Um, Bob in New Jersey. Go ahead, Bob. Yeah. Hi, Anthony. Thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. 
The, um, I just want to make a, a quick point about the early voting because everybody has a problem with the early voting. But I, the solution to it, uh, mail-in early voting, is all these Democrats that seem to not want to debate, nobody knew what they were about um, other than the fact they were Democrats or seeing maybe some TV ads that might have been a little skewed. So I, I believe that states should institute a policy where – there has to be at least one televised minimum one-hour debate between the candidates before any voting can take place. Well, I can, Bob, you're, I think that's a great idea. Now, here's the problem with it from a constitutional perspective. You can't force someone to talk anymore than you can stop them from saying what they want. But here's what I think the, the, the deal should be is you have – public financing of campaigns and say as a condition of getting this money and I did an episode on this, a condition of getting this money, here are certain things. One, you have to be more transparent. Two, you have to limit the amount of money you get from outside your district or outside the state. Three, you have much more transparency about any conflicts of interest that you might have. Four, you've got to participate in debates. And if you do all of those things, we'll give you public financing for the campaigns and you don't have to go to Exxon and lobbyists and everyone else to get the money. But you're not wrong. I, I think this is one place where I think, I think Zeldin didn't make enough of this. Hochul, I would have been following Hochul around in a chicken outfit or something, whatever it is to call attention to the fact that she wasn't made. Because when I, I did this big screed on the radio where I yelled at her for not debating, a lot of Democrats said they agreed with me. Not just Republicans, Democrats too. They said, "Yeah, it's hard to hard to argue with that." Uh, but I, 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 um, I, I, I think you're on to me. You just can't force someone. You can't can't force someone. Uh, Mike in Queens, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, real quick. I think the so-called red wave went down the drain with the Supreme Court decision uh, about abortion. I mean, you get some people who are high stepping about the red wave, and I think it, not to sound caveman about it, but I think it was something like eighty-five percent of childbearing aged women uh, still want the right to choose and they want to hear they don't want to hear some uh, like loudmouth conservatives screaming about uh, abortion it's a woman's issue and I think there was very little conversation about that from not, not only the Zeldin camp but the, uh, across the country as well oh and last thing I've always been amazed how America adjusts with tens of millions of people simultaneously adjusting and tweaking the political view of the country. It's just amazing. Yeah. I got to go. Thank you. Thank you. I 100 agree with that last point, Mike. That's why I call the show the middle. I do believe that, like, it works. It, you know, it takes a little while to calibrate. You like, it looks like the end of the world because you've got all these deniers. You got people January 6th. You've got the hearings and, like, no one's listening to them. Oh, yeah. It looks like a lot of people did. But let me, let me make a point about, about choice that I want to, I want, you know, this is a fairly conservative station, a fairly conservative listenership. The conservative position on choice is to give the individual the right. It is not conservative to say, I want the government to go make these decisions for the citizens. It is not. I, I know conservatives. Libertarian conservatism, the conservatism that people say they practice, somehow stops at abortion. And I think a lot of conservative people who would say to them, if you say to them, tell me, do you consider yourself conservative? They say, yes, I bet you a lot of them voted against Republicans this time. Because, frankly, that's what choice is. Choice is a really big imposition. Kenny in New Jersey. Go ahead, Kenny. Hi, Anthony. Uh, good to hear that you're on. I just got a quick question. Uh, well, actually, uh, I'd appreciate your clarification on uh, your monologue. Um, you mentioned um, the fact about election deniers, that basically they, those that were running um, lost the, uh, the election uh, in their districts. But, you know, I'd like – I would appreciate at least on the other side that people like Hillary um, Johnson from the Select Committee and Raskin and Green from California, including Al Gore, uh, would you refer to them as uh, election deniers also? I mean, it went as far as Green uh, submitting papers on impeachment after the 2016 election. And you also mentioned – and please clarify, sir – the popular vote. Why do you emphasize the popular vote? When we have uh, the electoral college uh, system, I'm just. But the only reason for that, Kenny, and, and there's two excellent questions. I was pointing out that Trump is unpopular. I wasn't pointing. I wasn't saying he didn't win. I'm saying he's unpopular. He 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 didn't win the popular vote in 16. Got swamped in the in the popular vote in 2018. His candidate, he, he, he lost the popular vote in 2020. His candidates got beaten in 2022. I'm just using it as a measure of whether he was popular. But let me take the first question. And, and I, I, I spoke to this a couple of weeks ago. There is a qualitative and quantitative difference 
to saying, I think that the Supreme Court should not have stopped the count in 2000 and George W. Bush should not have won. And I think that the Russians put their finger on the scale in 2016 with a difference in that race. And I think that Donald Trump, you know, should, or I think the Electoral College is a joke and, and there's no way that he's legitimate for that reason. There's difference between that and saying, I'm going to go to court. I'm going to sue, I'm going to not have any evidence, and then I'm still going to lie about it after that. That's the difference. It is perfectly fine to say, I think this system is outrageous, I'm furious, I want it to win, or or Al Gore, you know, Al Gore conceded, Hillary Clinton conceded. Even 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 um uh, uh, um uh, the, the 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 woman in Georgia, she said, I won't use the word concession, but that's what she said. She had a long speech where she explains what she was talking about, and she said, the reason I am I am uh, I, that that my opponent is the one elected is because we have a way to settle these disputes. They're called the courts, and anyone within the sound of my voice can go read the document, not stolen, lost, which was written by fifty Republican um um uh, Republican lawyers. Who just went case by case? There's no there there, and by the way, we certainly none of the people that you listed said let's go. Let's have kind of a call to violence. I mean, there's a very different thing than you know. I I hate the, the electoral college. It's it, it's it's no good. I don't like it. I, I you know the the Trump uh, uh, the Trump intelligence community came to the following conclusion that the Russians interfered in our elections to help Donald Trump get elected. These are all things that is very, very different than denying that an election. To this day, there are some still some people who are doing it. Some guy called earlier about this mules thing. That mules thing is a complete joke, and anyone who has access to the Internet can just put in, is 10,000 mules, how many mules did, did that guy discover? 2,000. Is 2,000 mules utter garbage? And just look at the people who actually went line by line in that dopey movie. People keep saying it, but it's led by Donald Trump and these other people who who are doing And you know what? They lost. They got the nomination, and they lost because the American people know better. The American people know that they, they want the guy who gets the most votes to be the one that gets sworn in. That should be the way it is. And we have lots of laws. Oh, my God, do we have a lot of of election laws in this country, a ton of them, no more than here in New York, a ton of them. And there are lawsuits all the time after cases. Filing a lawsuit to say, I don't think the guy won, is very different. What Laxalt did today, or was it today? Yes, today, telling his supporters, despite the fact that he was a leading election denier, telling his supporters the truth of the matter is that we are, that our path is closed. That knucklehead Lindsey Graham is still saying there's no way this could happen. Yeah, Lindsey. There's a way it can happen. For one thing, you should shut up about abortion. Maybe you would have helped your candidates a little more. But anyway, I I, I, I don't want to conclude on a down. I want to conclude up note. This is a great – this is America, man. This is – we have an amazing country. Our people are amazing. I don't always agree with what they come up with, but they have a way of surprising you. And this time they surprised by spanking the left a little bit, spanking the right a little bit, and leaving us in the middle feeling, you know, we might not be satisfied with the results, but we respect them. And I really am grateful for your being with us. Stay tuned at the other side of the break. I'll be back on Left versus Right with Curtis Sliwa, the king of New York Radio. There's a couple misbehaving when they should have been praised on Sunday.